by minutes, project number five. It's Silverado this time, that's no jive. By Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the show. Best saddle up now, kids, cause here we go! Howdy, partners, and welcome back to another episode of the Silverado Minute Podcast. Each week, Movie by Minutes hosts examine the criminally underappreciated 1985 Lawrence Kasdan directed Western Silverado. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host this week. I'm continuing hosting this week. My name is Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm imploring you to call me Sully. I am an experienced podcaster, so please, please, please follow my lead. Uh, I was the host of the Bull Durham Minute podcast, which was a movie-by-minute podcast based upon my favorite baseball movie of all time, which is Bull Durham. Uh, I'm also the host of the Locked On MLB podcast, which is about baseball. I previously was the host of the Sully Baseball Daily podcast, and I've been a television producer, a filmmaker, uh, a special education teacher, a stand-up comic. I've done a lot of things. I've sampled a lot of things from the the creative buffet and the life buffet. But today we're going in and talk about minute 62, which begins with a flash frame of Linda Hunt, Brian Dennehy, and Kevin Klein at the saloon. And then we go to Ezra walking towards the stream. And it ends with the posse surrounding Ezra and Ezra claiming that his son is off the town and the posse saying, that's too bad. Well, let me tell you what's not too bad is the introduction of my guest. He is, I'm in California. He's in Colorado. We've known each other for a very, very long time. Our lives are somewhat different now. When we first met, he had one of those beautiful, shocking heads of red hair. And now he could be Lex Luthor, but that's just fine because he's not Lex Luthor. He's not an evil genius. He is brother Scott Michael Pomerink, all the way from Colorado. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, Sully. It is fantastic to be with you. It is always great to talk with you, but I'm not sure that ever more so uh, than when we are now discussing a movie that uh, I have been a near lifelong fan of. Yeah. Well, by the way, when I say brother Scott Pomerink, brother Scott Michael Pomerink, I'm not trying to act cool that is your title maybe tell people what that title means i'm not going to dwell upon it but i but i find it very i find it fascinating father david is a regular on the indiana jones minute so we're bringing in brother scott michael tell people what the title is and uh how you've devoted your life yeah so that means that i am a friar um like you may remember Friar Tuck from Robin Hood stories or uh, any of the various friars who show up in Shakespeare. Um, or or baseball fans know the San Diego Padre, so you'd fit uh, right There in. you go. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, the, so I am a uh, in vowed religious life mm-hmm. uh, in the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, which is a religious community in the Episcopal Church. And it means that I have taken vows to devote my life to God and uh love for God's people and service to God's people and prayer and meditation. Um, and so it's a little David, different from someone like Father David, who is uh, 
has ordination vows. Mm -hmm. He is an ordained priest uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, and I am a lay brother. Um, And uh, but it's it's uh, one of the best things I've ever done with my life, and uh, it's well, and I'm. I'm thrilled because you and I have known each other since the 80s. We went to high school together, just so to yep. put a, a, uh, uh, in, a spike on this. And um, we've known each other for a long time. And this is as happy as I've ever seen you. You're raising a wonderful family out there in Colorado. And, uh, and you're, you're, you're glowing. I could see it. You're, you're glowing. And it's not just... It's not just the light hitting your 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 head, right? It's 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 your your. I could see your happiness, and and you what you and I have have taken very strange turns in our lives where we've devoted ourselves to other people in ways yeah. that probably like you've devoted yourself to the Brotherhood of Saint Gregory. I'm saying that correct, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I've devoted myself to becoming a special education teacher, focusing on children with moderate to severe needs on on the autism spectrum. And I'm, and I have never been clearer that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, mainly for the money, the money, the the money, the fame, fantastic education money. But uh, we're both doing with our lives what we should be doing with our lives. And I think that that's, I think I'm happy for both of us. Um, Now, when you and I met, I want to just, I want to set this up. We're going to get to Silver on in a second, but uh, you and I met at a very interesting point for film lovers. This was before you could just, hey, I think I want to watch a film, so I'm going to raise my thumb a quarter of an inch, lower it a quarter of an inch, and any film in the world is going to be on an Amazon or Netflix or whatever. Uh, You and I were the film guys in our high school. Right. We were the ones making, everyone with an iPhone and iMovie on their laptop makes a video now. We were making videos when it was gigantic bazooka-sized <laughs> camcorders, and you had to edit it by setting up two VCRs that would play record. Pause! Right. Unpause! And you basically had to ride it like, yo, I made one mistake. I have to start the whole thing again. Yeah. And we were we grew, we went to high school together in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, where there were a ton of art house films. And this was that wonderful age, kind of before Miramax took over everything uh, in the independent film world, where there was just a lot of really cool indie films that were coming out. I think you and I saw almost all of them. And, right. and, and like you and I gravitate towards it because we both loved classic movies. And so we right. wanted to see great classic movies together. And, and, before the internet thing, like we, you had to find film geeks like us. And it was, uh, I just remember just countless days at high school, you and I just watching really good movies. Yeah. We wanted to see the classic films and the films that we knew or we guessed were someday going to be considered classics. Right. Um, and so many of those movies that were coming out right then felt like, Oh my gosh, these guys are rewriting the rules and mm-hmm. reinventing this medium and, these are the films we're going to be talking about yeah. 20, 30 years from now. And, and now, you know, you find film lovers in, in, you know, online on Twitter or wherever, but here you, you, it was like, it was kind of like landing on a, on, 
on, on a desert island and finding someone else who likes what you <laughs> like. It was it was so rare. And uh, and I and and you and I both made our own videos that we made and and um and it was it was fun. Like you and I were the film guys in in our in our high school. And I just um it there's a there was a theater it still exists. I don't know if it's open yet in, in COVID. We talked about this when you were a guest on the best years of our lives minute, which was mm -hmm. the previous uh, movie minute project that I was involved in, but there's a theater called the Stanford, which played nothing but classic movies, like old time yeah. classic movies. And you and I saw a bunch of movies there and there was a period of time. And I I'm kind of nostalgic for this a little bit where there was like a mystery to a film. Like you've heard about this, you've seen pictures of it, but you haven't seen it. So there was this buildup to, um, I found it at this video store, you know, or I found, or it's playing at this revival house. So there was this sense of, I've always heard about this film. I've never got a chance to see it. When I went to New York, I was constantly at the film forum where they were showing like, reviving films like that. But you and I did that at the Stanford. Right. And we saw a lot of classic films. And for me, a lot of them for the first time right. uh, at, at the Stanford. I think you and I saw All About Eve together, if I'm not mistaken. I know I that saw that. Right. I know I saw that for the first time at the, at Stanford. the Stanford. Yeah, but uh, that was uh, I have great memories about that. You and I talked about on the when you were there about how we went to see the Errol Flynn Festival, which was the counter programming right. to the Kevin Costner um, yeah, yeah. Robin Hood film. We saw the Errol Flynn Robin Hood, and was it Seahawk, Captain Blood, Charge of the Light Brigade? All these classic yeah, yeah. films. It was great. It was great. Yeah, Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland and, and many of those, most of those. Claude Rains was in a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Alan Hale Sr., who looks exactly like his son, yes. who went on to be the skipper. In fact, someone yelled skipper when he showed up. <laughs> did, did he play Friar Tuck? Or, no, he played Little John. He played Little John. He played Little John. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, oh, I can't think of the actor's name who played Friar Tuck in the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. Um, but, uh, you know, one of those old character actors who's in everything in yeah the, in the 30s and 40s um and our, our mutual friend john mcguire was the projectionist at the now defunct varsity theater but also right. the um oh oh do you want oh and we're gonna get i swear we're gonna get to silverado but i one of the most fun times i've ever had at a classic movie with you brother scott michael you and i worked at a toy store together Yep. At the Stanford Shopping Center, the Imaginarium, the coolest toy store in the world. You and I were employees together there. You got me the job, and I thank you. Um, I'm, I'm still getting that sweet Imaginarium money. <laughs> but uh, they re-released the, um, the restored cut of Spartacus. Do you oh, remember yeah. that? And they yeah. played at the Park Theater in Menlo Park. And yeah. so I had never seen Spartacus. I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Well, I haven't I had, either, yeah. And I did not want to see it on the TV. I wanted to see it projected. And you and I saw that together at the Park Theater, which is now yeah, knocked down. I think it's a gas station now. Oh, but it was, it was, I know, it was a great theater. But um, we, that's, we saw Spartacus together. That must have been the summer of 90 or 91. But yeah, that was, that was one of the most fun days I've ever had the movies. You and I shared that together right there at the park. Yeah. All right, well, we got to get to Silverado here. Um, which, by the way, we did not see together. No, because, uh, that came out before you and I met. I still living in Massachusetts when when Silverado came out in 1985. Okay, so I know. Yeah, I want to I want to ask where where if you remember where you saw it if you saw it in the theater 
uh, and your memories of want, of wanting to go see it. I have a very strong memory of uh, my first viewing of this. I had no idea um, what what I was getting into, what I was watching. So something that I think you and I, I think I'm safe in saying that you and I have very much in common is mm -hmm. we get our love of movies from our parents. Who yes. Are your parents yeah. and my parents, both big movie fans. And, and, I think and, particularly... and for me, and for me, and for me, my brother as well, like my brother and I kind sure. of fed off yeah. of each other a little bit, yeah. but anyway, yeah. let me interrupt you, brother Scott. That's okay. Uh, uh, so I think particularly our, uh, uh, our fathers are mm -hmm. fathers uh, of blessed memory. Each one. Um, my dad, uh, I was, a, so my parents were divorced from a fairly early on in my life. And all through my teenage years, I would go over to my dad's house on weekends and he would sit me down um, in front of a VHS uh, tape player and the old CRT TV. Yeah. Uh, and, pop in a tape of something he'd either record things off TV or, you know, late at night, or he'd record, he would actually, um, he was one of the first video pirates. He would have two <laughs> VCRs, uh, you know, linked together and he'd get movies from the video rental store or the library and record them. And he would record them on these slow play, uh, the extended play of the, oh. uh, VHS. So th this was the worst know, quality. The worst. Yeah. It's like a Keith Herring drawing. There's no. There's no. <laughs> there's no features. You can see it was a blur. And yet, that's how you and I would watch movies. So many movies. Right. Worst quality tape. You'd get uh, you know three or four movies on one VHS tape uh, in horrible quality, and of course you know pan and scan. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the edges cut off um, of a widescreen film. But he, you know, one day he sat me down and put in Silverado and I hadn't been aware of it. I didn't know it was playing in theaters. It must have been, you know, shortly after that, whenever it first came out on, right. on VHS. Um, and I don't know how he became aware of it. Um, if he had seen it in theater or if it just thought it was something interesting i had seen probably a couple of westerns like maybe stagecoach the searchers right. uh, uh the good the bad and the ugly mm -hmm. uh, but not much this was one of my first you know introductions to a, a genre that i then just immersed myself in for the next several years really um, and i just remember sitting there and that opening scene you know which is not our minute but yeah. uh, you know that like anybody who's in this podcast has presumably seen you know that the dark cabin the pan around the room and then you know everything goes to hell and scott glenn flips up the shotgun and that's just such an amazing sequence right right and, and you know the cabin door opens and you're on top of this gigantic cabin or that this gigantic canyon um and that was mind-blowing and i was hooked uh into the film and i wore out that extended play video that my dad had gotten of it and i you know soon ended up buying an actual vhs official copy of it which i then wore out over and over again and um i was obsessed with silverado for for many years yeah you know, it's funny, it got kind of lost in the undertow that summer of 85, you know, 
Back to the Future was the big hit, and mm. Ram- Rambo was another huge hit. And then, you know, this was an era where there was usually like one blockbuster ruled the summer. Right. And then instead of trying to have a huge blockbuster every other week, there was like one blockbuster ruled the summer. And then there was a bunch of films that were hits that kind of, you know, would come and go and, and like sort of latch on to it. That summer, you also, as I said, you had um, Rambo. You also had Cocoon. You had The Goonies. You had Fletch. Um, and then you, know, you had both Pale Rider and Silverado both came out within a month of each other, actually only with a few weeks of each other. Wow, and really? Pale Rider did better box office than Silverado did. Um, Silverado was not a huge box office right, hit. Right. Uh, as I mentioned in yesterday's show, I did. I, I'm very, very happy that I saw it in a movie theater. The first time I saw it was on sure. the big screen. I, I think a lot of people discovered it on tape. I think a lot of people uh-huh. discovered I think it became a film like the right stuff that was more popular on video. I think a lot of people didn't see the right stuff in the theater. I think a lot of people didn't see Silverado in the theater. I think a lot of people also saw Silverado when the stars of the film became bigger stars. Right. You right. know, that it'd be so many people right on the cusp of, you know, stardom. and that they, they were like that they hadn't been pushed over the top yet. You know, Kevin Klein, obviously Costner became the biggest star in the world for a few years. And Danny Glover became, you know, this was, I mean, this was the year for Danny Glover because he was in witness. He was in the color purple and he was in uh, Silverado. And so he suddenly became the go-to African-American actor in Hollywood, then leading to lethal weapon where he became a, you know, right. a, a, a movie star. But I think this was like his year where he could show he could do, he could be a hero, he could be a villain, he could be a very complex character. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about Danny Glover a little bit in this minute as we see him sleeping. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think a lot of people are like you who saw it later. Um, and it's I think it's a shame because it's it was, you know, it's 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 a it's a film where the vistas and everything like that. Uh, and we'll talk, I'm gonna talk a little bit about. Uh, the locations, the New Mexico locations in this film, which I think are a star in this movie. Um, but oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that you like. I'm glad that you and I are both. You know, we both love this film. You know, my mom loved this movie too. My mom, my mom really enjoyed this film. And... It's such an accessible film. It's. Um, I think, you know, there are some people who just don't like Westerns, don't like that setting mm-hmm. at all. But I think anybody who has any kind of openness to that, I feel like would enjoy this film. Um, it's it's fairly family friendly. It's violent, but it's not. Um, it's You know, I would say Peel Rider, probably far more violent. Yes. Um, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, it's basically shame. Clint Eastwood wanted to make shame. And that's what he did with Pale Rider. It's almost the exact same plot of Shane. Um, I was mentioning yesterday's show that this is part of what I called the the Lucas template, the A B movie, which is a B movie that's given A movie treatment, kind of like uh, a Buck Rogers yeah. or a Spy Smasher Zorro film turns into Indiana Jones. You know, Flash Gordon turns into like a cheapo Flash Gordon turns into a big budget sci fi film. Right. Um, and this was essentially you got Lawrence Kasdan's connection to both uh, the Star Wars films and the Indiana Jones films, Indiana Jones, yeah. and that 
this was him saying, I'm going to make not a deconstructed Western like the Spaghetti Westerns. Like the biggest, uh, Bruce Broughton was on one of the episodes with the Indiana Jones boys who wrote, he wrote the score. And he was pointing out that the last really big Western hit before Silverado was Blazing Saddles. So at this point, yeah, yeah. you were either deconstructing or parroting Westerns, but enough time had elapsed that Kasdan thought, what if we just make a straightforward Western yeah, for a generation that hasn't really had sincere. it? Yeah. yeah. And I think its sincerity is one of the things that makes it work for me. Right. That it, you know, it, it kind of like Lucas's and Spielberg's love for those kind of serial films came through in Raiders and the, and Lucas's love for, you know, Flash Gordon and, and Dune and, and the Buck Rogers came through in Star Wars. This is a straightforward Western. In fact, I, again, I'm repeating yesterday's show, but I remember when the credits started rolling, we saw the film in Lexington, Massachusetts, and the credits started rolling. Um, a guy stood up, you know, started clapping, and he said to someone, that was an old-fashioned Western. Yeah. And the, the music invoked the Magnificent Seven, and there was just all this. It felt like it would fit in with before we were deconstructing Westerns. Well, let's construct one. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, and while this film was not a huge box office hit, I think it primed the pump for some of the other, I mean, Dances with Wolves, on, tele on, wolves. on television, Lonesome Dove, eventually Unforgiven, and oddly, you know, Tombstone, which was a big hit. Oddly, yeah, that yeah. came out against Wyatt Earp, which was Wyatt Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan and Kevin know, Costner got, again. But uh, I think this may have primed the pump for uh, some of the successful Westerns we saw in, you know, five, six years after the release of this film. All right, let's get to this minute here. Uh, again, we're just going to quickly, we see, uh, uh, we see Cobb and Payton and we see Linda Hunt, you know, just for a split second there. Tell me, I just want to have your thoughts because we only, this is the only second we see of Kevin Klein at all in this film. Um, I talked about it yesterday's show. I want to get your take on it without even telling you what I thought. What is your thoughts of Kevin Klein being cast as the best gunshot in the West? What do you think about that, that bit of casting there? Uh, are you hearing the background noise? I don't here? care. There's kids. Okay. He's got kids. You know, you'll hear my dog. It happens. You know, um, yeah. Uh, the, so it's uh, th you mentioned Blazing Saddles a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of Gene Wilder uh, oh, cool. in Blazing Saddles, yeah. who is the, you know supposed to be, and just Gene Wilder is many wonderful things. He is not a typical leading man, studly hero. Um, in in a kind of a similar way that Kevin Klein is, um, I did not know Kevin. Klein. I don't know if I knew him at all. I certainly didn't know right. him well in terms of his career at that point. Um, so it it worked for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess now if I had thought about it, it yeah, it does seem a little weird. Um, but it almost seems like Kazdan was maybe casting against type it's it, like you could have had costner in that role you could have had scott glenn in that role um but yeah. instead you have kevin klein who's you know sort of a more 
cuddly guy with the beard who you know is talking. You know that Cassidy had just done the big chill. If you'd cast Tom Berenger in this role, that probably uh, would have been more like you know the more likely character. But um, right anyway, I mean to cut you. What it's what he totally sells on is his uh, care and concern for the people around him who mm-hmm. instantly kind of become his close friends. Uh, you know, certainly. Scott Glenn and, and Kevin Costner, the, the, the brothers there, um, and uh, Linda Hunt, who we, you know, like some of the plot of the movie hinges later on mm-hmm. his care of Linda Hunt. And uh, Brian Dennehy has that monologue later in the film talking about how much Kevin Klein's character cares about the dog. dog. Yeah, the dog, yeah. Oh, the dog yeah. we didn't like. Right. Well, uh, Peyton and Stella, the Kevin Klein, Linda Hunt characters, are the closest thing we have to a real romance in this film that we care about. I know that that <laughs> I know that Payton makes goo goo eyes at Rosanna Arquette, but the real closeness comes with Stella. You know, right. that to me right. is a much more much more interesting, you know, romance between them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Now, and I, you know, I had no idea um when I was watching it as a teenager. Uh, like I was really baffled by that love triangle with Rosanna Arquette and yeah. you know now watching the film as an adult and you're like okay clearly something was major was cut out they've, right. they've made some cuts in that story but it, it's funny to recognize that as a as an adult watching the film uh, yeah because that that just kind of doesn't make sense as it is yeah all right well so we cut to um, we cut to Ezra, who is walking with his uh, with his uh, pail, rifle and a pail, a rifle and a pail, um, and Ezra is uh, is is obviously going to uh, um, you know get some water. He's played by Joe Seneca, who was also a singer. Um, he he uh, wrote a lot of songs. Uh, had a hit with "Talk." This is according to IMDb. I had a hit with Talk to Me, which was a song I played a lot of nightclubs. And then he went on to become just a, uh, he was a that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Appeared in a lot of, uh, uh, he was in uh, um, uh, Malcolm X. He was in Mo Better Blues. Uh, he was in a lot of, he was in um, School Days. So he became kind of a uh, um, a, uh, a Spike Lee uh, staple. Um, he also okay, was Sully, in... before you go any farther on that list. Yeah. You and I, I think if I'm right, you and I saw a Joe Seneca film together back in the day. Was it Mo Better Blues? Uh, no, I don't think we saw that together. Okay. The one that I'm remembering is Mississippi Masala. Mira and I. Yes. Film. Yes. With Denzel Washington and Roshan Seth. Yes. 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 Um, and I think he plays Denzel's father or something in there. I think uh, it's so. It's been a long time since I've seen that film, but I've just been seeing clips from it because Criterion just put out a new edition of it. And I thought, uh, Joe Seneca, there he is again. Well, Joe Seneca's biggest role was in a film called Crossroads with Ralph Macchio. Oh, yeah. And he plays, uh, directed by Walter Hill. And it was basically a, uh, you know, 
Ralph Macchio wanted to learn the blues and and there was a guy at the crossroads who may or may not have been the the devil or Robert Johnson um so that it was it was uh marketed like uh Joe Seneca would be Mr. Miyagi and some people call it the guitar kid uh <laughs> but uh that was his biggest sort of starring role in the uh in the end that came out just a year after uh, Silverado. Oh, well. So he had a wonderful career. He died uh, in '96. Had a terrific, uh, a terrific career. Yeah. Uh, a great that guy. Um, he walks down. He's in the canyon. He you see he's holding the rifle, the pail. Uh, walks past his horse. We see that Mal is asleep with the fire still going. So you see, you know, they're they're still in hiding mm-hmm. from um, the McKendrick men who want to kick them off the land. Um, and you know he walks over. He leads the he leads the rifle on and his hat on the side of the rock, and he starts to um, you know he dips his water in there. These shots are basically a camera on a tripod panning, and yet they're gorgeous because of the location scouts. They found yeah. just like throughout this film, you just know that the they they look through the lens and they're like, how does it look, Larry? He said, Oh, it looks good. Yeah. It looks good. Like you, know, I would love to see just the Polaroids of all the different places uh-huh. in New Mexico, because again, he just walks down, he grabs a pail, and then this whole scene is like there's no elaborate camera moves or anything like that. It's all shot basic, but it looks gorgeous because of the gorge and because of uh, <laughs> because of you know the the care they took in in making it look great. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning photography and stunning, stunning scenery, stunning backdrop, uh, locations. Yeah, amazing. By the way, um, Um, Ted White, who plays the role of um, uh, Hoyt, who is the main person uh, staring him down, again, uh, that guy and a you know like a goon and a lot of things, including Tron, uh, and you mentioned. Mel Brooks, he's he's a Roman centurion in history of the world and appeared in a lot mm-hmm. of things like um, uh, Starman and Blue Thunder and uh, Romancing the Stone, usually as thug, cop. Um, yeah. He was uh, uh, in one of the Friday the 13th movies. He was Jason. <laughs> really? Yes. Yes, he was Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, the final chapter. So I guess uh, there you go. He uh, he appeared also in a film called Hot Pursuit, which was a deliberate uh, ripoff of The Sure Thing, even starring uh, John Cusack and also with um, Jerry Stiller and Robert Loja. Um and that film, wow. which is a cheesy '80s kind of kind of dirty comedy, which is directed by Steven Lisberger, who had previously directed Tron. So, wow, there you go. That was an amazing full circle. <laughs> you did. Yeah, that, that was not how you thought that sentence did was not see that coming. No. All right. So what I love here, it's quiet. You hear the click. The dramatic music kicks in. He looks up, he sees Hoyt, and he sees that he's surrounded. Uh, by the way, one of the, the I got I pulled the other one of the other uh McKendrick men 
was uh, an actor named Ross Loney, who also had appeared in Pale Rider. He has very few acting credits, but has several credits as a stuntman and a horse wrangler. So I wonder if this is a guy that Lawrence Kasdan had on the set and sort of threw him a bone. Hey, just, you know, yeah. you know, you know give, give him a suit him up. And, you know, instead of just being the stuntman, uh, um, you know, you can come on and just play a part here where you're surrounding poor Ezra. Yeah. And suit him up. The costumes are so beautiful. Like everybody's the textures, on mm-hmm. all those clothes, those clothes just look like they've been lived in. They've been out on the, in the West, you know, living life as yeah settlers and cowherds and whatever. Right. By the way, I just want to say one thing here. Um, and we may have to pause here for a second because I, I hear groceries are coming in. So this might be a good point pretty soon to uh, take a take a pause and, and before going on to, to the next minute here. But this is a there's a lot of, you know, we talk about the um, the locations looking gorgeous in just through the lens. But this also where the, this location that they found, they were able to just visually put Ezra in so much danger that they're all above him. They're all on rocks yeah. above him and looking down upon him. They're all, you know, they all, he's down at the stream. You could see that there's no, like, he's kind of boxed in. And he's looking up very vulnerable. He's very vulnerable looking up. Hoyt is standing on the rock. So he's already taller than Ezra as it is. And he's standing on the rock and is, is like just is towering over him. And it's just very intelligent. Again, if they had found a location and they were surrounding him, they say, "Where's your son?" And they just—it's just a bland location. This scene could have worked fine, but just all the visual cues that you see in this—that that they found the place where Ezra's cornered, and these men are more powerful. Yeah, and he—he—and you—and he—and of course, the framing of—you know—he wants to go for the rifle, and you see the rifle, uh, you know screen left and you see one of the men sort of take it away like you know just Pick up the hat and it's just and and again it's the, it's you don't even see the whole dude it's just you see the arm grabbing right. it so it's just there he looks so small framed in the um, underneath the arm of him so you know he is he's defenseless yeah and he so he doesn't even pick up the gun he picks up the the, the thug picks up the hat yeah and it's just like you can't use this. We're going to expose this and show you how much you can't use. You can't get to your rifle. There's a great shot where you see, um, oh God, I forget, you, when you see a uh, Hoyt standing on the rock and it's looking up and he's also framed by the trees. And so it mm. makes him even look like he's at the level of the trees. He's like, right. he, you know, there's this sort of the, the, the nature is surrounding him and, and looking down upon Ezra and uh, just the whole framing of it, the staging of it, of what is a very simple scene in many ways. Right. Uh, and it is, uh, it's just so expertly done. There's so much drama in the scene. It's such an oh crap moment. And, um, and especially when you remove the rifle, because the last, when he, they shoot him off the land with the, when they're uh, at night in the cattle and that he had the rifle and that's what scared him off. Well, now you remove that. He's just a scared old man. Right. And um, it just, 
you know, this is the point of the film where the stakes are being raised and you're, and the fact that this scene took place right after we're seeing Cobb is in charge of this town and that, Oh, well maybe I can, you know, maybe Payton can live here. Maybe this is going to, you know, it does look the other way. There's some shenanigans, but you know, it's not so bad, but he literally says, this is heaven. Yeah. Welcome to heaven. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. And then, but now we're seeing what that really means when you remove that, that these people can get away with this. It just, it's, it's intelligent writing, you know? And I, you know, I just say it's intelligent writing, intelligent framing. So, um, well, look at man, brother Scott, Michael, we're having, we have another minute to talk about, but, uh, uh, groceries have groceries have arrived. And so, uh, we may have to take a quick pause here and then, uh, uh, but Hey, Hey, um, do you have a do you exist on social media at all? I mean, like, does it, do you have anything you would want people to to follow you? You're you're an extraordinarily creative person. I mean, well, uh, thank you. I uh, yeah, people can follow me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at br scott michael brother scott michael. Mm-hmm. Um, you can uh, look for my blog on uh, br scott michael dot wordpress dot com. Uh, and I write about some things there. Um, and uh, if you're interested in learning more about the Brotherhood of St. Gregory and what kind of crazy thing that is, uh, you can go to gregorians.org, G-R-E-G-O-R-I-A-I-N-S.org. All right. And you're not going to do any Gregorian chants, though. That's not, is that, in the, is that in the cards or? Not at the moment, but that is, that is the... Uh, St. Gregory the Great. Okay. He is uh, the person under whom uh, Gregorian chant was invented. Well, there you go. At least codified. Um, you can follow me at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. You can follow my and my YouTube channel, which is Sully Baseball. You can see the in memoriam videos that I produce every year for the baseball players who have lost. Uh, you can also follow my podcast, which is Locked On MLB. I'm not sure when this is dropping. Who knows? This could be in the middle of the pennant race, or this could be some other maybe baseball season's over. I'm not 100% sure. But if you're a baseball fan, um, check it out. You can also go back and l- listen to uh, the Bull Dermot if you want to hear me talk about that. Uh, and also, Silverado Podcast, the Silverado Minute Podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at the main site, which is SilveradoMinute.com. Also, check out the Midnight Star, the Silverado Minute Listener's Saloon on Facebook to interact with some other hosts and just have some good fun chatting about stuff. And follow us on Twitter at SilveradoMXM. And check out all the great Movie Minute podcasts. You can find them at MoviesByMinute.com. Well, what's going to happen? It's a poor Ezra in the stream. We're going to find out the next minute. And brother Scott Michael will be returning for the next minute which will be minute 63, I believe, of Silverado. So come join us next time here on the Silverado Minute. Yeah!